looking for the King of Podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up, Crazy Train Radio? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from Wee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, 
Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So, if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have. SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com Hi, this is Tony Hudson, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, your croc. Jonathan Steele. And boy, do we have a good one for you today. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as promised, right now on the phone line, we have Mr. Tony Hudson. How are you this morning? <laughs> I'm doing great. Doing great. Sitting uh, here with my hot tea, watching the rain come down. I have a really cozy swivel chair that's upholstered, and I have it so it can swivel into the living room looking in, or I can swivel it out towards the window, and I sit here with my morning beverage and take in the day. So that's what I'm doing, and I'm talking to you. It's a wonderful thing. Before we get into the fun stuff, I want to mention your newer book, I should say, that came out through Audible and stuff, which I found... Very entertaining because of how you worded it and the little interaction I had with you in person about three, four weeks ago. You know, it makes sense. I'll put it that way. Because Tony was in AC for a an outdoor horror show, but we got talking and so everything makes sense. And you'll hear that throughout this conversation. How did you come up with how I found myself? And telling the story. Yeah, how I found myself with correct living. Um, correct living I made up. I mean, not not the two words, of course. Those already existed. I won't take credit for those two words. But I did use the phonetic spelling uh, of the word correct. Instead of C-O-R-R-E-C-T, I used K-E-R-E-K-T, which is how they show you how to pronounce the word in the dictionary. Because... I was trying to just explain it's it's correct only in the eyes and in reference to that you're shown that it's correct. So, um, and you know, just to to realign yourself with nature, and that's that's really what correct living is. So I changed my way of eating and my lifestyle over 40 years ago. I'm turning 60 in well on November 9th. So what is today? I don't know how many how many days is that? Uh, now I gotta use my fingers and toes to count. So that'd be like fifteen days or something. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, I will so say I, happy I mean, birthday. I'm, I'm turning, I'm turning sixty, and and I've you know birthed three kids, all natural. Uh, you know, with meaning no drugs, no epidural, no you know cutting, no nothing, and uh, breastfed them all, uh, no shots, no vaccinations whatsoever. And I breastfed them, made their baby food, 
and um, you know, taught them about the, the the idea that food can be medicine, but medicine can never be food, and raised them that way. And then uh, people wanted to know how I did that because it's in a world of fast food and sugar and Coca-Cola and hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza that's everywhere. And the quality, the more the more mass it is and the more chain it is, the less of the quality, right? But it's cheaper, so people say, oh, I can get it, I can get it over there cheaper. But then you're also, you know, tensing on your health because you're not giving it the nutrients it needs by going cheaper and more processed and white flour this and sugar that. And, and then, of course, you go all the way into drugs. You know, that's extreme imbalance because yin and yang is what correct living is based on which is an eastern philosophy as you know by listening to the book do i sound like the book right now (laughs) not word for word but yes (laughs) no but i mean but but i mean i think what i'm trying to say to whoever's listening to this interview at some point that i do narrate the book so and the way i write is the way i speak so it just, it's just having a conversation. I'm just telling a story. So I think when I'm asking him, does it sound like the book? That's what I mean. I, I mean, I just, yes. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just saying that, that, uh, I made a choice as a, as a young woman because I didn't like all my emotional highs and lows around the female menstrual cycle situation. I just despise that. And the focus that the girls and the women put on this menstrual cycle thing of depression and, can't get out of bed and migraines and all the ailments that everyone kind of accepted like oh I'm just one of those girls that gets that and I really didn't didn't make sense to me like there's got to be a reason that we have it's a beautiful thing it helps us procreate and have children you know so anyway those kind of things made sense to me but I didn't know it it was more subconscious until uh I had a lot of that going on in my life and then I had a lot of acne all the time and then um, yeah, it's just, I didn't like being, and then cellulite on my butt and my thighs at a young age, you know, 16, 17. And, um, my brother pointed it out one time, what's that all over your butt? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so, so, you know, I just kept taking note and I listened to my mother and her girlfriends on every diet that there was, yo-yoing back and forth, you know, hanging into the Weight Watchers thing, and then, but then you can't buy the meals or your plans over, and then you go back to, you know, your hamburgers and hot dogs. And I'm not saying that all hamburgers and hot dogs are bad because I eat both, but it's just what is the source of the food and the material that's in the hamburger or the hot dog. So it's not hamburger. You know, it's probably an impossible burger or a vegan burger or a homemade black bean and brown rice burger or, you know, whatever kind of burger. I still call it a burger. I don't freak out that I can't call it a hamburger because that's like calling a tissue a Kleenex. You know, it's just we're used to it. <laughs> exactly. But but my source of food is basically from the plant world. I do eat fish. But, yeah, correct living just saves me from now that I'm turning 60, my weight is maybe 10 pounds over what my weight has been my entire life. So I'm maybe 120 pounds, but I've always been 105, 110 uh, forever. And uh, I'm five six, and I don't take anything medication-wise. I do have medicinal marijuana. Just- oh, all I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Sleep for my menopause. And so I do partake in that medicinally, but I don't take any prescribed medications, over-the-counter drugs, you know, for anything, for high blood pressure, for, 
depression, for hormones, for nothing. I, that's it. So uh, that's pretty much an amazing feat, I've realized, when I look at the, the percentages and the numbers out there. So I think that's what I'm trying to say. I haven't had any Botox. I haven't, you know, I mean, my face is my face. I even had skin cancer. So I have a huge scar on my face, um, on the left side of my face, for where they took the skin cancer off. So, you know, I, I am just a very all-natural person, meaning I chose to eat a plant-based diet and follow a Eastern philosophy of balance of yin and yang, balance of sodium, potassium, balance of acid and alkaline within the body. And when you learn what foods are that, uh, then it's easy to balance yourself. Like I said before, food can definitely be medicine. I mean, it is. It, I mean, it is. It's the fuel we put in. What else do we put in? But food and drink, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, exactly. I, 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 like in my book, did, did the car analogy make sense to you, Jonathan? Where I say, look, we have a car. We know we, what kind of gas goes in. We know what weight oil. You know, back in the day, you used to have a spark plug. You had to make sure it was, you know, clean in between so you get a good spark. I mean, there's certain things that you had to do to make that car run. Well, we're not really taught what food, which is the fuel we put in, okay? We're not born putting pills and drugs in. We're born putting food in, starting with breast milk. So we have to just choose the right food, and that's what this correct living is. It allows you to understand what food is the right thing for us. And based on what season we're in, what grows indigenous in that area, and, uh, you know, then it creates more of a balance. It's about balance, You're getting zen-like with your food. And then it's easy. You're not counting calories or grams or fat grams or MBI, all those indexes and the thing, all the, the complicated weighings and the, no, it's just understanding whole grains, root vegetables, hearty leafy greens, sea vegetables, and you keep spreading out, you know. If you eat a steak, you're going to crave ice cream, and that's the extreme. You want to eat more in the middle, more balanced, so you don't create a yo-yo thing with emotions, a yo-yo thing with your body. And, uh, yeah, just get in the middle. And that's what I explain. And I explain my story, my journey through food, like when I started eating, how and why, and, you know, how I experimented and how I failed. <laughs> but it's, it's a, I think it's an interesting thing. And it's a seed planter book. I'll be off the book thing in a minute. It's a seed planter book. So basically it's just to hopefully help folks reflect on what they ate as a child. Did that happen to you? Did you start thinking of what you ate growing up and what you eat now? I mean, just to take take a note and to take heed of what's going in, just to have a more conscious thought process about what you choose to put in your body, because this is the machine, the God-given machine that you have to exist in. And if we don't individually treat it well, we can't point the finger and say, oh, it's their fault they put stuff in that food. You know what I mean? we got to take responsibility for understanding there's ingredients on the package. Read them. If you can't pronounce those words, man, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how to read, so that's a whole other thing. So, Well, then you got to get a good friend to go I'm, shopping with you. I'm, I'm kidding, folks, you know, but but I actually had a couple more questions based off that book because I, I yes, took some please. notes. Please, As you said, you meet – well, for those who haven't read the book, and I'm hoping that I'm not spoiling it, for people seeing it, but you made the change food-wise when you were about 20 because of some other things. Like you said earlier, uh, you're listening to your mom, but your brother died of cancer. Yeah. But making such a major change in the style you ate and everything you talked about, 
How did you find that balance, which is key, to finding what type of food you liked and finding out what exactly worked for you? Well, basically, I did a lot of reading. You know, there there weren't – we didn't have the YouTube videos and, and blogs back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, that we have now where you can just Google, browse, and explore and just find anything. So I, had to, I read a lot of books, you know, and, and my ex-husband, Dirk Benedict from the A-Team, he's the one who turned me on to the whole philosophy of macrobiotics and the, the ancient Eastern teachings based in Japan and uh, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago based on nature. And so um, the balance of it was, it, see, I'm a common sense, I guess, intellect. I never graduated high school. I went to college. So I live life streetwise, like figure it out, right? So when I watched when I watched my mother go through all her trying to find a way to stay slimmer, you know, especially through the childbearing years and having kids, have two had two brothers. One of course died, as you said, at 18, and I was 16, and he had a tumor on his spine. So, but so, so I saw my mother struggling, and then um, I saw my brother die. Right, and he, you know, he he would eat the grizzle. Like my mother would make pork chops or steak, and whatever grizzle, the grease and the grime that was in the pan left over, he craved it. Like he he would nibble on that. It just and and then everybody's if they didn't clean the bone, it's like, can I have your last rib? Can I, you know? And he ended up having a tumor on his spine. And tumors, I've learned, are an accumulation of excess animal fat and protein because as a human, our bodies uh, will tend to store any excess animal fat and protein that we take in. And, and each one of us is so individual, it's like you can't see inside. So we don't know how much Jonathan can store in a safe way, right, and how much Tony can store in a safe way without creating tumors or the blood thickening or the arteries closing off because of all the animal fat and protein just hanging out so and then of course how much exercise we are doing or the lack thereof it's all it all helps and, and contributes to um what condition we create in other words as we age and things start happening we act like it just happens out of the blue like it just came on us no it's a reflection of our daily choices and and when it comes to the physical part of things it really truly is mostly what we put in. And then again, to make significant changes, it's mostly what you stop eating that makes the most, most significant changes, not necessarily what you add in that's healthy. You know, like let's say you ate horrible, but you just started adding in brown rice and oatmeal two, three times a week. It's not really going to do that much. You're still eating on the other days, the burgers and the sugar and the stuff. That's like a heroin addict. Well, I'm just going to cut back a couple of days. <laughs> you're still a heroin addict. You know what I mean? You don't have the heroin still stays in you. So you have to be clean of something a really long time to be totally clean of it. And if you want to be, if you want to make changes because there's a specific ailment and or disease, you have to be specific with your choices. You can't just mamby-pamby it and try it a couple times or try for seven days when you're 40 years old and you now now you want to make changes in seven days after 40 years of choices, that doesn't seem logical to me. So when I read this pamphlet that Dirk Benedict, my ex-husband, gave me, 
uh, on the, the philosophy of macrobiotics, which is basically based on the natural laws of the universe, uh, it made sense to me. It was naturally common sense. Oh, man is, is contraction, yang. Women is expansion, yin. They're completely opposite, but you bring a man and a woman together, what can they create? A whole human being. That's yin and yang where they, they are opposites, but they are complementary when they come together to create something new. And, and that's, that's what the whole idea of balance is. When you understand what foods are balanced that way, and then what your mother ate while she was pregnant with you, and then what she fed you as a child, you understand what your condition is, and then you can make really great choices. It's kind of simple, and then it's very freeing, because then your body only craves uh, the good stuff once you cut out the bad stuff. Your body is miraculous. I mean, come on. You cut the skin, you tape it together, and just wait a little bit, and it heals. That's a miracle. Come on. So you have to understand you could do the same thing by putting the right food in, waiting a little bit, and letting it heal. But people want things right away. You know, I want to drive yeah. through, get that burger and fries and the Coca-Cola now. <laughs> I don't want to go home, make a homemade patty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but you, but you do reap the reward of those kinds of choices. And are you worth it? In other words, this is what I would look in the mirror at myself. And I'd say, Tony, are you worth it? And I'd say, yeah, I actually really am worth it. I'm worth paying for the organic blueberries up front and in full. I'd rather eat amazing, sweet, juicy, tasty friggin' blueberries that are $5 a little carton than paying for eating um, a frozen, you know, what is it called, Sara Lee cake all by myself that's full of sugar and preservatives and stuff. Uh and then I have to spend the actual money that I spent on the organic blueberries at the back end on pills, on medication, because I, you know, made these ugly choices at the beginning that were cheaper and more tasty seeming than spending $5 on organic blueberries, which is really scrumptious and so good for us. And it's like candy. It's like a, it's an individual serving one at a time. It's like eating delicious nature. But we go and we eat these processed friggin' made things which we think are cheap and it's more and I get more and it's a lot. and Yeah, you get more and you get a lot more of dis-ease, disease. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, it almost sounds like like something you brought up later on in a book where you say, earn your health, earn your sickness. Yes, yes, you will earn. You will earn the the work you put in. So if you just unconsciously, subconsciously just eat as a whim and emotional cravings and just pour it in, you're going to earn all of that at the back end eventually. If it's at 40, if it's at 70, if it's at 95, who friggin' knows? But that's why I say correct living allows people to understand a way to live a consciously proactive, preventative lifestyle instead of a reactionary one. Instead of just eating what you want and waiting until something happens and uh, trying to put on the brakes really quick and reverse all the damage. You know, that's hard to do, especially the older you get. So it's it's like making choices before you're sick and like never get there. Die of old, 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 old age. Very, very happy. Right? It doesn't have to be from disease. No, it don't. Mm-mm. But one of the things I uh, got a kick out of uh, before we move on, I want to bring this up from the book as well. What was the most surprising thing 
because in chapter 13 here, your sons had uh, were spoken as part of the story, I should say. What was the most surprising thing you learned from what they had to say? Well, luckily, you know, uh, they were at an age where they understood the challenging choices that as parents we made for them. And so when they did, when they were able to write that, I forget what they're 21 and 19 or something, but they, I asked, but what Jonathan's referring to is I had them write just a chapter, uh, about their experience being raised as alternative health food kids, I guess you'd call it in today's day and age. In a normal, you know, kids eat the hot lunch and they go and get in line and get the tray and get whatever slop they're putting on that tray. Or they bring whatever package hostess Twinkies and ding-dongs and stuff and, you know, juice boxes that don't even have any juice in them. And, you know, they they, they bring their lunches from home because it's cheaper. You know, they get, they get freaking cases of it. It's all stacked in the garage from Costco because it's cheap. Now Costco, excuse my friends, though, does have organic stuff now. They, they're, you know, everyone's learning. I mean, they're catching on to my, my train. I've been on this train since I was 19 years old and I'm turning 60. So what's that? That's a long time, 40 years, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so, uh, which is exciting. I mean, I was eating kale when broccoli was still king, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's fun to see it all come together, but, uh, people still don't know. They're still intimidated to go into a health food type store. You know, they call Whole Foods Whole Paycheck. And, and, and in other words, but I think that's the media making us feel like paying for our food, healthy food up front is a bad thing. And I, and I, and I, that's the thing I want to, I want to remind people to think the opposite way. Because it's not about cheap and a lot for cheap. You get a lot for cheap, that's what you're going to get for your body, a lot for cheap. And then your body's going to break down because it's not getting the nutrition it needs. So then it starts pulling all any nutrition from, you know, your organs to try and, like, get some nutrition when you keep just putting empty processed food stuff in. And then and then once it rips it all from your organs and does, can't get any more nutrition there, your immune system weakens, now you're susceptible to more stuff. And then it starts pulling nutrition from your muscle. Then your body starts to atrophy. And so it, it just starts to break down because it's, it's just searching for some new nutrients, something rich. So the idea of eating whole foods, not ground up, processed, added in, take it out, fortified, low-fat skims, and all the stuff that they do to make us think they made it better. No, nature makes it best. Definitely going to put the link for the book below on all formats so people can Thank you. Thank you. Yes. No, I, I mean, take a listen, guys. It's really interesting, I think. I mean, it. it I think it's uh, – I, did it make you feel more confident to maybe venture that direction at all? I'm still you know, thinking about some things that I picked up from the book. You know, but like you said earlier, it does make you think when you sit and try to break it down. Yeah, right? Doesn't it make you think? I mean, when I talked about Sam Paku, did you look in the mirror? Yep. <laughs> so we'll, we will definitely share that. Yeah. I would say at least for folks to at least give it a listen to yeah, then make up yeah. your mind. Because she tells – she don't bang you over the head with all this stuff. She just tells the story 
from her perspective and what she's learned and everything else over the past 40 years. Am I wrong yeah. on that? No, that's very, that's very correct. Yeah, it's just, it's from my perspective. It's not a how-to in there. It's not, I'm not saying, okay, this is what you do at exactly. 5 a.m. and then you do this. It's like, no, it's, it's like a novel. It's like a story. But uh, it's woven through my food journey and, and how it came about, you know, and then with kids and how I fed them. And so all that, yeah, it's just, I think it's an interesting angle to, to, to take and um, make as a thread for a book, so. But it's but it's your angle, like I said, so. Yeah, definitely mine, totally mine. No one else has lived that life but me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we were talking in Atlantic City, like I said. And you brought something up to me recently, or while we were down there, I should say, was a professional project you were working on that's getting ready to come out. Charlie's Christmas Wish. What is this? Yeah. Project? Yeah, Charlie's Christmas Wish. Well, uh, Lionsgate is just, uh, distributing it here in the U.S. And so it's coming out November 10th. So in a, like the day after my birthday. Like what a birthday present, right? So November 9th is my birthday. And then November 10th is uh, Charlie's Christmas Wish out on pretty much all the streaming platforms that are there. Uh, it was supposed to come out in theaters, but COVID, of course, kept it from uh, doing that in the way it was supposed to. So it'll be, you know, you just Google find it. You'll you just put it in your search bars of your, you know, whatever it's Amazon, Netflix, or Hulu's, or all of the different ones. Um, I'm not exactly sure which ones will come out first, but it's kind of on all the platforms at some point. Does that make sense? Because they kind of tier it, and I don't know which ones are the first tier. But but it's Charlie's with an I-E-S. It's Charlie's Christmas Wish, Lionsgate. And, um, yeah, uh, my dog Charlie is Charlie. She stars in it, and I play the mother. I play the female lead, and my youngest son, Walker, plays uh, Jimmy Frost. I play Jill Frost. And then Aiden Turner plays John Frost. That's the family, and John Frost comes back from Afghanistan five weeks early with PTSD and interrupts the whole holiday bakery uh, overload that I had in reference to catering and all that. So it's kind of a mess at home, and he doesn't like little dogs. He had a dog in Afghanistan, and we have now this little dog named Charlie. So really, Charlie's the dog we rescued, but um, John Frost doesn't like little dogs, and so we were out. And he accidentally kicks the dog when he has a PTSD incident episode when the fire truck goes by, the siren. And he kicks the dog, Charlie, into the street and gets hit by a dog. And so as Charlie mends, so does John. And so does John's heart. And John meets an old uh, veteran named Hank who find, we find out through Charlie finding out for us that Hank has been living out back of the Moose Lodge in a tent city, homeless with a whole bunch of guys in this tent city, and but he never told anybody. And so John takes it upon himself and the whole family in the town to come together to build tiny homes for Hank and uh, Captain Jack, played by Jay Brooks, and Hank's played by Vernon Wells. And so, yeah, it's a really heartfelt family PG. It's really hard to make a PG movie, people. <laughs> it's not PG-13, it's <laughs> PG. <laughs> and because uh, it got to be clean, clean, clean but still have, you know, <laughs> interest for everybody. So it's a challenge, but I think we did it. And, uh, yeah, it, it really highlights the homeless veteran uh, problem, but there's also a solution. I mean, in the, in the, in the movie Little Jimmy, uh, it's in the credits, so it's kind of like we do a tag at the end during the credits where Jimmy 
was assigned a math problem, an extra math problem, because he was failing math with all the stuff with dad and mom and the dog, and the, he was failing math. So he got an extra credit project, which was to find out how much it would cost to solve the homeless veteran problem. Remember how many people and how many veterans and how much, all that. So, yeah, there's a real math problem. And I think the, I think the math problem is like $6.73. It's like a freaking Starbucks coffee. If we all paid that, we could solve the homeless veteran problem. And uh, so it's a really, really sweet movie. So it's like an early Christmas movie, and it's the day before Veterans Day. So on the 11th is Veterans Day. Uh, so my birthday the 9th, the movie comes out the 10th, Veterans Day the 11th, and it's a veterans movie. So it's really special, and, uh, yeah, get your whole family to watch it. It's really it's really a sweet movie. Well, for this movie, you were telling me you had multiple roles in the project. Yes, you acted in it, but producing as well. How is that with multiple hats, at least for you, involved yeah, in a well, project like that? <laughs> the, the hats I wore were... More than just like, well, I produced and acted because there's a lot of people that do that. But it was it was even my. And this is the first movie that I've been a producer on, so uh, it it was uh, quite a challenge because yes, I was the owner of the dog, but also the dog handler. So anytime the dog's on screen, I'm the one doing all the stuff to make her look this way or that way or sit up or high five or I'm doing all that. So I'm working the dog thing, and then a lot of times if I was there. And that's a lot because Charlie's the star of the movie. So then if I'm not acting my part, I'm still keeping track of her over there. She's got, you know, over there hanging out in her little bed. So I'm still at – then when my son was on the set, he was maybe 12 or 13, then I was the mother of the star of the (laughs) movie on set. And then I was also the mother on screen (laughs) in the movie, not just the real mother. So I'm the real mother, and i got to be that. Then i got to be the acting mother. Then I'm the producer because if I'm on set, pretty much my partner could go off and get other things done. So I'm also the producer on set. So I had that hat going. Then I had my older son who was also on the movie. And then I did the set designing on a lot of the stuff. Our our set department was young and they were ambitious, but it wasn't getting the look. And so I just took it over. So I would stay up sometimes till 2 and 3 in the morning, um, you know, setting up, you know, Jimmy's bedroom and redesign it because we were going to shoot in this angle, and we'd talk to the director the day before, and then I would stay up and do it. And then get up the next day, and there we go. We have the dog and the son, and I'm the mom, and then we start working again. And so it was a lot, a lot, a lot of hats, and uh, but really fun. And I think one of the greatest joys that I didn't know I was going to have as a producer, I mean, you know that you're going to give people jobs, but you don't realize how gratifying it is to really be able to call someone up and say, hey, making a movie. <clears throat> Can you come join us and do your job over here with us? And it's really satisfying to give people jobs. So, yeah, those are all the hats I wore. It was quite a lot, but fun. Yeah, and especially in recent time, it's more pleasurable, I'm sure, to be able to give people jobs and all that fun stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's so, it's, yeah, and you create, you know, each movie, I mean, I've done so many movies throughout the years and, and varying degrees when I mean so many movies, meaning different budget movies, you know, Academy Awards, studio pictures, and very, very low budget independent movies. So you have a different mode and uh, of operandi on each, each different kind of set, you know. So this was a set we got to create what we wanted to create, and we learned a lot of lessons. We learned more lessons 
of what we will never do again <laughs> or allow happen again. But uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's good. It's sorting, and, and it's our first one, but we learned a lot, and uh, yeah, it propelled us forward. And we have a lot on our docket, getting ready to go. It's a couple television series, a few films. So yeah, a lot, lots getting ready to go. Well, with all the projects you've done over the years, big, small, things in the middle, like you said there, what would you say is the biggest change in entertainment since you got your start? I would say the biggest change, there's two, kind of in two tiers, but I'd say the biggest changes in entertainment is when I first started, you didn't ever, ever see an actor who did feature films on a television show. And you never saw a TV actor starring in a movie. It just, they never crossed over. It was really, like, that was one of the biggest challenges for TV actors was to cross over into feature films. And if a feature film actor ended up being on a TV series, it was like your career was over, (laughs) you know? So the fact that the crossover from that is seamless now doesn't matter. You could be starting on a TV series and you have a movie coming out. It doesn't matter. So that is one of the bigger changes. Then the other one, I think, is just all the available platforms for the very, very independent, very creative, very think-outside-the-box artists to um, get their stuff seen and known. I mean, that's the other biggest change is that, you know, there's a way to get noticed in a very unorthodox way, not like the old Hollywood, you know, where you have to make a movie and you go sell it. I mean, there's ways to do it on all sorts of platforms. Um, you know, so yeah, opportunity is abundant. But that first one that you brought up about the not crossing over, I, you're not the first person I've heard say that, but that was always mind boggling to me because if somebody's good enough to do the job, what's the big deal? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was just the pecking order of what they thought of television because television was a small little tiny box. You know, and 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 they had soap commercials, and it just had a different flavor and feel than, you know, and at home, the laundry laundry can be going, and it's noisy, and, you know, the sun is shining on the screen because the sun comes in that window, and you can't stop it. But when you go isolated into that big, giant movie theater, and the screen is enormous, it gets very dark, it's the right temperature, the sound is what it is, it engulfs you. You're not distracted by laundry or kids. I mean, it changes the experience. So it was just a very, it was like, you know, it's like top shelf alcohol as opposed to the well liquor, you know. <laughs> and with that point, though, I also think, and obviously formats have changed and everything else like you said there, but when it comes to movies and going to see them, I also think that's probably the hardest thing to do to encourage somebody to go get in their car, drive to a location, pay to get in, pay to get food and snacks, to sit and watch your performance, and hope it gets a positive review. That makes sense. Yeah, Well, and what's great, tell me your age again, Jonathan, I forget. 36. Yeah, so yeah, and that's just because you didn't experience what I experienced. Because at, at one point, you never experienced the movie any other way than that. In other words, you're saying it's hard to get people to go do that. When I first went to movies, 
That was the only way you experienced the movie. You didn't watch a movie on TV. You watched a TV show on TV. Yeah. Does that make no, sense? No, but I'm saying it's difficult. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. But what I'm saying is if you have a uh, – you better be bringing your A game to get your fans to go make the effort to go see the project. Like, yes, say, and that's because, that's because there's yeah. so many choices that you can watch sitting home. That's, That's my true, point. but I but I also That's enjoy going to a theater. Look, if there was no option, if it was either sit home and stare at the fucking wall, excuse my French, or seriously, if there's no TV, like no movies on TV, or sit stare at the wall, then you would get up, up and go. But there's so many options. You, well, I'll stay home. It's raining. Oh, I'll stay home. Oh, it's too hot out. I'll stay home. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there's always a reason. So there's so many options. Well, to Back be honest game, with you, though. The option you had was the movie friggin' theater. That was it. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, I do enjoy going to a theater, or I did when, when we were able to. Right? I do, too. I really like that experience. And I would go alone a lot. I like going to movies alone. Because then no one's talking to you anyway. They're not trying to, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but one of the projects you were involved with that most would be familiar with is just one of the guys when you played Denise. Yeah. Do you think it was a very progressive movie in the 80s and what do you think makes it stand out after all these years? Well, I think, you know, there's just a huge part of the generation that tail into the baby boomers that grew up, you know, um, in the 80s, uh, their teenage years and you know, those, whenever you have something in your teenage years, it's a coming of age, you know, reflection <laughs> of those times. It gets sentimental. And, you know, I mean, any kind of movie, it's kind of like the peanuts. You know, you never see the parents. The parents are never, never in the movie. They just were always gone. <laughs> and the kids just kind of <laughs> take over. And, uh, and no one questions it. So it's a fantasy land, little fantasy land. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's not my style of movie. Like, and that's not the kind of movie I'm drawn to to watch as a person. I like more romance. I like, you know, under the Tuscan friggin' sun. I like ordinary people. I like dramas and just one of the guys. It's fun. I mean, I'm so proud to be a part of it. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying as a, as a viewer, it's not the kind of movie that I idolize or remember lines from. I mean, I do because I was in it, but you know how people remember dialogue from movies because they're fans of the movie. I'm so not good yep. at that. You know. Now, is it true that you had a vision for the sequel? I so did, yeah. Well, see, I think it's funny uh, if you take what they were trying to do and connect that to now their adult, adult life. So, little buddy, the brother... He could have a, you know, X-rated magazine company that he publishes, you know. So he's a producer like Hugh Hefner type guy. Then you could, that's funny. And then you could have Joyce Heiser who's, you know, has a paper, a newspaper that she runs. Maybe it's digital, you know, and then every year they come out with a paper one anniversary or something. And then um, me, I, I have like a fat farm. I own a fat farm because that's my one defining character line. I'm having so much fun here. Nobody knows I used to be fat. So I have like a Weight Watchers type company to help people not be fat. Um, you know, you just kind of take it 
uh, Billy Billy Zabka, who plays the bully, uh, obviously with Cobra Kai. You could tie Cobra Kai right into the whole friggin' just one of the guys' uh, sequel. And he could be the Cobra Kai guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? In just one of the guys' <laughs> sequel, which I think would be friggin' perfect. And then... Makes um, sense. Doesn't it make sense? And you have yep. them, and you have them come back together for a reunion. Yeah, exactly. So, but you, but you go, but you go into their lives as they're getting ready to go to the re- reunion. So you get to see where they're at now, what they're doing, and then they're all calling each other. So what time are you getting there? Yeah, you stayed at the same place. Yeah, let's do that's what you know. <laughs> and they're all putting on fronts, and then they get there, and then they have to they reveal what's really going on in their lives. And I think it would be very interesting. Sounds like it. I mean, and Joyce Heiser could be a trans. She could have changed herself to a boy and owns the paper. Who fucking knows? I mean, with today's day and age, how they make movies now, I, it wouldn't be my way to go, but. Yeah, that's the thing. You never know what the, you think you could go one direction, but you go another. Yeah. But anyway, I think it was just, you just carry, you just carry it on. It's like, you know, we, we, we do identify with certain things that, that we're attracted to when we're younger, you know? Someone likes the journalism contest, so they become a writer in some way, you know. And maybe, you know, maybe she writes children's books. Maybe she, you know, I don't know. Maybe she writes the articles for the centerfolds for her little brother's magazine. (laughs) Fakes it, you know, fakes the models, you know. I love to take baths and read Vonnegut and walk on the beach. Those kind of writing, you know. They could be, they could make it funny. You can make it funny where they, they're successful but not successful in the way they thought. Well, speaking of which, our, we have a lot of horror fans as well, and they were familiar with you when I said we were going to be talking with you. Uh, yeah. From Leatherface, when mm-hmm. you played the character Sarah. Were you a fan of horror growing up? Yeah, there's certain, I mean, I, I actually, my mother loved the drive-in. And so there was a certain time in my life, I remember going to the drive-in a lot, and there was a playground uh, down front near the screen. So they would sit in the car, and we would go down and play on the merry-go-round, the swings, when it was a hot summer night. But on the screen would be, you know, don't go down in the basement, or, you know, uh, psycho, you know, eh, eh, with a knife in the shower, like, all the crazy stuff on the screen, and I didn't hear it for the longest time because my mother loves those movies. So I was around it all. And then eventually I didn't play on the little, you know, apparatus, and I wanted to be more in the station wagon with the tailgate down and let's watch a movie. And then, so then I'm watching these movies, and I'm like, wow, it's not really my genre to watch. It's, it's I mean, I, I like them. I, it doesn't really scare me, I think, because I know the business so well. So I don't, it's not like I watch them and I get scared, and that's why I don't want to watch them that much. Um, it's just it doesn't interest me to see blood and gore, and I'd rather see a romantic movie, you know, drama, some go deep, you know, go deep with the emotions, then come out of it and have some happiness. I mean, I like that part of life. I think so. I like illuminating that part of life, which is my movie, Living on the Fringe, which will be a little more uplifting, even though it'll flash back on some. Not so good stuff, but, uh, but yeah, but that's life, right? That's in life, like if we're talking food, yin and yang, balance, that's life. There's good and evil. So you have exactly. to have both to understand the opposite. You, without, without the evil, you don't know what good is. So it exists everywhere, all the opposite. 
in any format, any uh, genre of life, it's there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I mean, telling stories, telling stories, you know, doesn't mean you only tell stories that that happen to you. You know, you, in your life, there's stories that happen that you would never imagine, but they've happened. So exactly, and uh, you actually have been doing because you mentioned it with a when we were talking about just a, one of the guys, some modeling and such. You've been doing a lot of photo shoots lately, including what I saw recently, poisonous pinups, and obviously on social media you've been sharing some modeling stuff you've been doing. What led you that that direction? I think it totally has to do with my 60th birthday coming up. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's kind of a calling card for my Correct Living brand that shows here I am, a 60-year-old woman who can do modeling shots and still feel good about it, you know. I mean, yes, I've got wrinkles, and yes, I've got gray hair that I cover with some nice blonde highlights from my girl, Rebecca. And, uh, you know, I mean, you do what you do to make yourself the best and turn turn yourself out the best, but... You can't you can't change the fact that with aging, the loss of elasticity in the skin happens. That's like a natural aging thing. You can eat healthier foods, and I think that's why at 60 I look more like I'm in my 40s. You see what I'm saying? I slowed it down. doesn't mean you stop it or halt it, the aging process, but you can certainly slow it down a bit. Most people think I'm a good 10, 20 years younger than my, especially half a football field away, they think I'm definitely 20 years younger. <laughs> then they get a little closer, they go, okay, okay, I see the wrinkles, I see the hands with the with the age spots, and I see the wrinkles in the crow's feet and the jowls and the wrinkly neck. I mean, that's just natural. And then, of course, then you have the, the natural laws of the universe, like gravity. So the loss of elasticity in the skin, and then the gravity pulls on it. So then it starts to hang down. It's like, I can't change gravity, <laughs> you know? So, I don't think any yeah. of us can. Right. So my point is, I have to be okay with all of that, and that that was a very that was a very interesting thing with this photo shoot. But I'm also very proud, you know, that I'm not a medicated fog walking around. I'm wide awake and alert, and making conscious choices about my life every day. Not playing a victim. I, I had a lot of years of that in my life. There were times where I really kind of came from a victim attitude and I think it was kind of a learned thing in life, a survival mode as a child but uh, you know, you, you learn you have experiences and you shed certain skins, they they don't leave you but you shed them they don't weigh you down anymore you know Exactly, but before I let you go, I was thinking about this uh, in terms of prepping for our conversation Obviously, you have two children with Dirk, your ex-husband, and then you have yes. your younger son with your second husband when you were 44. Yeah. I'm curious to know, which is amazing, you know, most people, well, it's becoming more of a thing now in later years, people waiting to have children and all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a different conversation. But just on a mental standpoint, or the... Do you find do you find that you were a uh, you thought differently as a mother about certain things? Because obviously you had certain thoughts on how you did things with your older two than when you had your younger son. You know, as we all, all get older, I like to think we uh, 
mature and think differently. And did you uh, find your parenting style change at all? I think the thing that the only I wouldn't say it changed, but I think what layered on top of my initial experience with the first two because they were two years apart. Right now they're 32 and 30. So back then, two years apart, back to back basically. Because I nursed for a year, you're still in diapers and making baby food. Now you're pregnant with the second. You know what I mean? So it's like it was just kind of churned them out. <laughs> so it was like pregnant nursing, pregnant nursing, about four or five years solid with the first two. And I was in my late 20s, right? So, uh, so well, I wasn't like an early young mom, but I w- it was still young enough and they were back to back and it was a lot. And I walked away from my acting career to do it because I didn't hand my kids over to a nanny. I eventually garnered one later that came two or three times a week. I didn't have it every day, like, here you go. So, um, so yeah, so I was a little bit more stressed because there was two and it was, you know, my attention was spread. Then 15 years later and then my, the dad to Walker, you know, was 10 years younger than me and George and Roland, my older ones, Dirk was 15 years older than me. So I was 10 years older from the younger dad. So, uh, we waited 10 years. We were together 10 years before I even got pregnant. We were, cause we were together 17 years. So, yeah, waited 10 years, then at 44, had Walker, and that was a different experience, I think I mentioned in the book. Yeah, I felt like I'd gotten beaten up or mugged, you know, with a baseball bat by a group of people <laughs> after giving birth because <laughs> I did it all natural and pushed pushed them out um, as well. I did them all that way, you know. So, uh, but, yeah, at 44, the physicality of it uh, was intense. It was the shortest uh, time delivery, I think, or maybe it was longer, but, um, I, yeah, around the same as the second, the third, they were like three, four hours apart in reference to the length, nine and 13 hours or something. But my first one was 43 hours of labor. And Ooh. yeah, that was, that was intense. So, but I, I would just say that, you know, at 44, I was much more patient. So many things I did with my first two worked so brilliantly whether it was the food choices I made and how I raised them, it was it was so easy. I just repeated the things that worked so well. And so I raised them. I didn't really change how I raised Walker. I think what changed is I just was more patient. Uh, I didn't get uh, as upset about things because I've been there before. I knew that this phase was going to end soon. It's like Because when I was the first mom, I remember, you know, they would go through a phase and you're trying to figure out how to, keep the, the that phase challenge from happening as a mother, you know, headed off at the past, right? And you just figure exactly. it out. You just figure it out. And then they're on to the next phase. You don't even need to do that anymore because they don't need they they figured it out. Like they don't have that hassle or that challenge. So it's like every time I just figured out a challenge and got it smooth and running, they're on to the next thing. <laughs> it's like, oh shoot, now I gotta figure out a new way to handle this challenge. So kids keep you, I think, in the moment and present. And I think I appreciated that more at 44. So I, I had more patience. I understood that the, the phases didn't last for friggin' ever, so I didn't let let it get me all upset. And, um, yeah, and, and, yeah, and he had a good example with his older brothers. Even though there was a big age difference, they did they did get to, you know, really bond as, as Walker grew up. And now Walker's 15, living with his dad and his dad's family in Ohio, not far away. And uh, so, 
you know, it's a good, it's a good situation. He plays football and, you know, but he's been a professional actor ever since he was young, Walker. And my older guy, uh, George, he's an actor too. He's also in the movie Charlie's Christmas Wish. So, yeah, it's a family affair, but, um, 44 years old, having a baby, it was, it was really good. I mean, if you're healthy, you can have a baby up until you're not ovulating and everyone stops ovulating at a different time. So if you're healthy, I wouldn't worry about, I wouldn't worry about the number, you know, but the key is if you're healthy, I mean, think about it. I changed my way of eating from the processed normal, you know, fruit loops, frosted flakes, wonder bread, jiffy peanut butter and jelly, uh, you know, all this stuff, Velveeta cheese, you know, ding-dongs, the pink snowball things, the animal cookies, the pink-white things. I mean, all the sugars, fasted Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, Screaming Yellow Zonkers. I mean, all the stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, I, that's, what, that's what I grew up eating, and I just didn't eat that anymore And because it's just stuff. I mean, think about it. Do they, do they make those screaming yellow zonkers to make us healthy? <laughs> no. I don't think they so. Make it, no, they make it so they can make money. That's a business. You know, so they got to make it so it's so addicting and it's salty enough and it's sweet enough. And, you know, it's, there's no nutritional value in it. It's just stuff. And we buy into it. We buy the stuff. I think you hit the right word I was looking for there in patience when it came to that question because I always reference I don't have any of my own, but I help with, when you're younger, you have the energy. But like you said, when you're older and had a child, you had the patience. You go, okay, I know this won't last, you know, just like everything you said, I know this won't last forever. I could, you know, it's a different mind. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of like the evidence of childbirth. Like even though my first delivery was so intense and so long and I didn't take any medication, you know, it was, uh, I knew that when the baby's born, the, the intense pain is gone. In other words, there's an end to it. It's not like I was in a car accident and broke my back and how long is this pain in my back going to be here? You know what I'm saying? It's like exactly. once the baby's born, the pain is over. So I didn't fret about the pain because God gave us this natural gift of procreation. And I figure if it's meant to be, it's meant, you know what I'm saying? So I, I didn't it's part of the process. That. Yeah, it did, I, I figured, and then once I did the first one, I knew that's exactly right. Once once the baby's born, that particular pain is over. Now you garner a new pain, a <laughs> recovery pain, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not that's not the same intense friggin' transition pushing a friggin' armchair out, you know, the wahoo, uh, which is what it feels like. It feels like you're giving birth to an armchair. Like, how does this <laughs> shape come out of here? Like, what? Mm-hmm. And... um so, yeah, it's a miracle. I mean, it's a friggin' miracle. And, and, and they treat it like it's a medical procedure. They, they set a date to be induced. They set a date to cut them open. They set it, like, instead of just let the, let's see what happens. Maybe my body can have it normally, vaginally out the normal. Cause see, I believe that that's a part of yin and yang. So when you're in the womb, right, you're in pregnant. The, the baby is in water. They're like kind of weightless. They're just kind of floating around and bopping around and kind of muffled music, muffled conversation, but they're hanging in our environment. But the, it feels good. It's fun in there, right? And then the whole mm-hmm. birth, going through the birth canal, that struggle allows when they go through to the other end, and they take a breath with their lungs once the umbilical cord is cut, and, and they take a breath. Now they're weighted. 
right? Now they're on a table, they're on a, they're in someone's hands, they're not floating. So now it's totally different. But that, that pressure and that struggle to go through the birth canal to come out the other end, it's like a butterfly in a cocoon and breaking out. That's part of the problem. When you take that away, you take away a natural part of a human's journey. And it doesn't mean it's not necessary at times. You know, if it's a life and death situation, friggin' yeah, cut the woman open, get the baby out. You know what I'm saying? But so many times women are just afraid of it and they just schedule it. They don't even allow maybe to, you know, to try. And because it's so treated like it's just an appointment, you know, they don't really understand the energy of it, the flow of it, why it happens, you know. And that's what you learn macrobiotically. There's a great book called uh, Macrobiotic Pregnancy and Care of the Newborn. And basically, it just talks about the woman's body while she's pregnant and how food pertains to it and when the nervous system is developed and the fingernails and the hair and the skin and the heart and the lungs. It lets you know each step of the way what's being developed at that time, what foods are good to eat at that time. And you have to understand the placenta and what the purpose of that is and all of the things. Like, you learn. Like, you're part of the process. So many women have no clue. They're not interested. They just tell me when to show up my appointment, shoot me up, do whatever you need, get it out. I don't want to know. And, yeah. you know, it's such a beautiful process, but it's treated so clinically sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation for a whole different day, that's for sure. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can stop talking now, I promise. <laughs> no, no, we're, no, we're, no, we're good, but I'm just saying we, uh. we, we, we may not be doctors in real life, but we play them on TV and, on podcasts. Yes, that's right. So, obviously, we will have, like I said earlier, we will have links to the book, but also I'm going to put a link up to, because we hinted at the modeling side of things, for a magazine cover of Poisonous Pinups, which is awesome as well, as part of her latest endeavor with all the pictures. I know she did some, but before I let you go, you actually did some pictures the other day. It, are they going to be used professionally, or what's the direction yeah. of those? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's kind of a combination. You know, my whole Correct Living, the book, How I Found Myself Correct Living, of course, gave birth to the TV show Correct Living, which is on Roku streaming channels on the New You Network. So New You Network streaming on Roku channel um, has my TV show called Correct Living. So based on, you know, launching a brand and having the book come out, the brand come out, I'm turning 60. I've got movies coming out. So it's kind of like that. It's the timing. I needed new pictures that showed me more current. Uh, Most of my pictures were, you know, a few years old, and I needed some new ones. And so, yeah, we did a variety. There's still some more styles and looks that he's uh, working on to make me even prettier. (laughs) But, but, uh, yeah, so now I'll be receiving more. But, yeah, it's really just to, to launch the whole new the whole new me on the new you network correct living in the book and turning 60 in a celebration yeah i'm like did i say that they're coming to visit i'm so excited yeah and i think i hope you know this is genuine when i say this too but it is so and folks i hope you've seen how genuine tony is but it is just good to hear that everything is going good for you right now Kids are good. You're doing good. Just everything, you know, professional life is going good. It's just nice to hear that 
there's some something positive going on with all the craziness that's been going on this year. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, like again, I hate to keep going back and, you know, beating a dead horse, as they say, I guess, but the whole yin and yang and balance thing. I mean, look, to understand, you know, peace, it's going to get ugly. It's gotten ugly. It's gotten friggin' ugly. And it looks like to me, like I said before, it is good versus evil. And I think the evil has to be exposed for everybody to understand, you know, why it had to be so grand in its stroke, I guess. Because it, it, I mean, like I said, I've never registered to vote, never voted in my life, and I voted, and and um, and very happily, and I think it'll be a landslide uh, re-election, and and I think it's for the good. I think he's fighting for the good and trying to get rid of the evil. And um, I, hey, and do I know 100%? Do I sit in the board meetings with him and his staff and these people? No, I don't know 100%. But it's my instinct. It's the reason I registered to vote, and it's what I'm hoping for. It's like I've been binging, binge-watching the politics uh, and the fringe media, not mainstream media. I don't watch CNN and MSNBC and all I don't watch ABC, CBS. I don't watch those news stations because it's all one narrative. They're all bought by the same guy so or people, I guess. So, But I'm just saying I hope it's true. I've totally bought into the plan getting rid of the evil. I've been eating my popcorn and watching every rally, every debate, every everything, and I'm happy. It's like so many people are depressed, but I'm actually happy because it's like they've thrown everything at this guy they can. A fake pandemic, you know, uh, a fake impeachment, um, like everything they can. And it's everything they're throwing at him is what they've actually done. It's projection. And that, and they have proof. So they're, they're, they're exposing it and it's happening. So little, little by little the dominoes are falling and it's really happening. So I think it's going to be a landslide. And you look at his friggin' audiences and the, the love. I mean, who says we love you to a president running for office? No one has said that. We love you. We love you. I mean, come on. That's, that's amazing. And the whole mainstream media just ignores it, acts like it's awful and horrible that these happy people go say we love you to the president <laughs> it's like how is that a bad thing you know what i mean there's certain things we as not just you and me when i say this but we as a country and people and however big you want to take it but i guess the biggest part that people can take from this conversation that they'll hear is whether it be food politics Whatever the case may be that we have in this journey called life, try to educate yourself before before you make a rational decision. Yeah, sense? you know, I, yes, yes, I agree with you. Try and try and educate yourself. And, and why I really agree with you is because, see, I really educated myself on what was in food long before the masses have caught on, you see. It's taken 40 years for them to start making – a vegan option at most places. I've been this way forever. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so it's the same. It's the same thing with uh, politics. It's the same thing. You know, it takes a minute for people to catch on, but once they do, once once I saw the truth about food could be medicine, I couldn't turn my head and act like I didn't know that anymore. You know what I mean? I couldn't. Oh, I don't know that. I didn't experience you that. It. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I and I and I know it. So it's like. 
if I turn and just go with the masses, I'm going to get what the masses are getting, which is heart disease and cancer and, you know, I mean, all the things that come with age and choices that are not healthy. doesn't mean, I'm knocking on wood right now, doesn't mean I'm infallible to disease or ailments, but it means that it'll probably be a shorter-lived situation and that I'll be able to take over and, 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 and feed myself with food to continue healthy after whatever doctor would need to do if I got into a desperate situation, right? But it, why would I be in a desperate situation? Obviously a result of some choices that I've been making, <laughs> right? So Exactly. So, yeah, so I, it's like taking responsibility, not pointing the finger at anybody else, and knowing that uh, if you educate yourself, it, you know, ignorance is not bliss, not when it comes to your health. Exactly. And uh, if folks want to follow you on uh, social media, how would they go about doing so? Oh, on Instagram. Thank you. I'm Tony with an I, Tony Hudson, T-O-N-I-H-U-D-S-O-N, and the number nine. That's my handle on Instagram because I guess someone already had Tony Hudson when I joined. And I'm born on the 9th, so that's, that's why. My birthday's the 9th. So Tony Hudson 9 on Instagram. And then I'm just my name, Tony with an I, Hudson, on Facebook. And then there's Correct Living Facebook, K-E-R-E-K-T, Living, uh, on Facebook, which is my uh, brand. And, yeah, there should be a link for the book on there, but I don't know if that's been done. Wow, I just thought of that. But Well, I have a link we can throw on there, too. Cool. Cool. Already checked but, yeah, that, so. well, I figured, you know, people kept asking me all throughout my life, and I would always help my friends. You know, my close friends said, Tony, I need to lose weight from this, this reunion or my wedding. And they would do my 30-day cleanse, and then they would change their life forever almost, you know, at least for the most part. Or at least they knew how to hone back in and eat healthy for a little while to solve things. But, you know, so I've helped them all throughout the years and did it as a business for a short time. But now it's like I just shared the story. It's, it's yeah, it's valuable information. And it's freeing, you know. You're 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 not tied to a number of what's on the scale. And like I said earlier, you know, she's speaking from her story, so it's not being beaten over the head. And just if you're looking to make some changes and everything else, I think Tony's story is pretty cool to listen to as far as this book in mm. general, because it gives you it might point out some. The yin and the yang and all that fun stuff. It it will at least point out different little things that you will. It'll give you stuff to consider when you're thinking about things and educating yourself. Yeah, that's why I call it a seed planter book. It's not really a how-to as much as it's a seed planter to make you reflect on your own choices. Well, Tony, thank you so much. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com. 
or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's going to make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while Sincel Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hi, I'm Alexandra Paul, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 